the Mount of Olives. I was just there the other day. The Mount of Olives is just located just uh, east of the Temple Mount. Kidron Valley is not really a giant valley. It's more like a little tiny gorge. Uh, and I uh, teach a, a lesson there on the Mount of Olives, looking back uh, west toward the Temple Mount. It's an awesome place to sit and study prophecy, because yeah, that's where Jesus uh, ascended into the heavenlies. Um, and when Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, uh, the disciples were there when he ascended. Uh, and you got to love the disciples. Uh, th they asked some interesting questions, didn't they? Um, and if you think the Bible is boring, you just need to read it more closely. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, uh, notice what happens on the, on the Mount of Olives as Jesus is preparing for his glorious ascension. It says in verse 6, so when they, the disciples, had come together um, and they're on the Mount of Olives, they were asking him more than just one time, what's the question? Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now? I mean, is it now? They're excited. Because think of all the things that they've seen. Let's see, the Messiah had to come from the line of David. Was he? Yes. Mother and father, both of Davidic origin. Uh, uh, did he do miracles to validate his ministry as, as Isaiah prophesied he would? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was. Was he, uh, was he born of a virgin? Yes, just as Isaiah prophesied that he was. Was he born in the city of Bethlehem, as Micah said in chapter 5, verses 1 to 2? Uh, uh, yeah, he was born, born in Bethlehem. That's the city of the Davidic king. I mean, they saw all these prophecies fulfilled. Uh, did he fulfill Isaiah 53, where he would be the suffering servant who would die for the sins of the nation? Yes, we just saw him. Hang, he was hung on the cross. He, he bore our sin, etc. But now we saw, we saw the resurrection. He has appeared unto us. We have seen him. He cooked breakfast for us on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. We have seen him. and he, He's quite alive. He's resurrected. He's defeated sin and death. So what is the logical question to Jesus? That question. Okay, Jesus. You fulfilled it all. Now we are ready for the kingdom. Uh, what did he say to them? Um, well, he said to them, uh, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the father has fixed of his own authority. Did he answer the question? He'd be a good attorney. Did he answer the question? It's okay to talk. Yes or no? And it's not yes. It's no. Uh, no, he didn't answer the question. Uh, did he kind of reprimand them? Yeah, he did. Uh, you can imagine, if you had to ask Jesus a question, what would you ask him? Well, this was the big question of the day. Okay, we've seen it all. You, it, now, are you going to be the king? And he says, uh, you're asking the wrong question. You're, it's not now. It's not your business to know what the Father is doing, prophetically speaking. And if you go on and read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, he tells them, let me tell you what your job is. Your job is to be my witness in, in the world until I return. Uh, and the word for witness in the Greek text is martus, which is the word for martyr. He says, if you have to witness to the point of death, that's what I'm calling you to, to share the gospel of a risen Savior until I return. Don't worry so much about the timing of prophecy. Doesn't it, everybody gets caught up with the timing of prophecy. Do you? Well, surely we are close. I mean, we're really close. We're always close. And so when you look at what Jesus does here, it's the same thing that you're going to find to the Thessalonians. They're going to do that same thing to Paul. In fact, the words Paul's going to use here in just a minute are the same words Jesus just used in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. Because we're all caught up with, is it now, Lord? Don't you talk to your television? Or flat screen or whatever it is you're looking at? Like, honey, it's got to be now. They're doing this now. It's always imminent that the Lord is going to come back. And so their big issue in Thessalonica, it's been a while since we studied this book, like several weeks. So I'm going to assume since brain cells dilate daily that you have maybe forgotten 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, about the rapture. And then we spent several Sundays, like two Sundays, talking just about the Bama Seed of Christ, the judgment of believers, all that that happens you know, when the Lord raptures his church. What was their big problem at this church, theologically speaking? The, the, their issue, just to remind you, was, in case this is all your first Sunday. Was it your first Sunday? No. You were here before? What was their issue? Hey, Paul, you know, my grandma loved Jesus, but she died. Does it, so that mean when, when Jesus comes back, she misses the king in the kingdom? That's not cool. Cool is a Greek word, I, I'm thinking. Uh, and that was their problem. Anybody that died in Christ, they're thinking they're going to miss the king in the kingdom. Uh, and what does Paul tell them in verses 13 to 18? Oh, no. Those who died in Christ, they're not going to miss the king in the kingdom. Because when the trumpet sounds and the archangel screams and all that's going to happen and calls the church home into heaven, who's going up first? Do you remember? This is a test. One person knows. Thank you. Praise God. Well, uh, yeah, thank you. Who goes up first? Dead in Christ. Go up first. So you're walking in heaven. Trumpet sounds. Da, 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 and you're Boom. You're back with your materialized body that God put together. And you rise from wherever you died into heaven to greet Jesus. Isn't that going to be a shocking day? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, and then who follows them? Us? Who's us? Any believer in Christ goes, see, the trumpet sounds, etc., voice of the archangel, blah, 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 the dead in Christ rise first. Christians, you know, you leave your clothes, everything behind, you put on a white, the tunic thing, whatever they wear in heaven. Remember, everything's white in heaven. I don't know how you feel about colors, but it's white. Get used to it. You, you ascend into the heavenlies. And so you, you go up to the heavenlies to what? Remember, we just spent two sermons on this. The judgment seat of Christ, where all the believers of all time are judged for how well they ran the race. Not for heaven or hell. You're going to heaven. But how well did you serve me, Jesus says. So that, that, that's all chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. But just like the disciples, that wasn't enough prophetic information for these people. Because when you look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, they had another question. Don't you have eschatological questions? Have a what? Uh, so es eschaton in Greek means the end. Uh, and so the eschatology is study the end times, right? And so, so they have these prophetic questions. And so their question is, uh, Paul, okay, you just talked about the rapture. Like, what's the timing then for the, the tribulation? you know, the day of the Lord. Like, give us some more insight into that. And so what Paul is going to tell them is kind of like what Jesus told them. You're asking the wrong question. You're asking about when is this going to transpire? The more important question is, what are you doing in light of the fact that God's coming back? All right? That's verses 1 through 11. So the question is going to be, through this whole little section is, are you ready for the Lord's revelation? Because he's going to reveal himself. So if you're a Christian, the question is, are you ready when he shows up? Is your, is your spiritual life in order that when you see Jesus, you're going to be, yes, take me home. All of a sudden, you're a Pentecostal. Never raise your hands in your whole life. And all of a sudden, on that day, yes, take me. Okay? Or you're a Christian, and you're doing sin in your life, and you haven't confessed it, and Jesus shows up, and you're like, man, I need a few minutes. You know, that, that kind of thing. Or you're the non-Christian. You totally missed this event because the church has got raptured. But when he comes back in the day of the Lord, the day of judgment for the godless, you ready for that day? So he's going to divide this whole section based on their questioning of him as the pastor uh, into two checklists. Checklist one is for sinners, non-Christians. Checklist two, verses four to following, is for Christians. So let's talk first to a person that doesn't know Christ. What does Paul say? Verse one. He says, now the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need uh, of anything to be written to you. Who just said that in Acts chapter one? 
Jesus. What was the question? Well, Lord, you're going to restore the kingdom now? Uh, no, it's not now. It's coming, but not, not, not now. Uh, these, these people are asking the same kind of question. Paul, you just told us about the rapture. Now we got to know the rest of the, the prophecy story. And Paul says, um, hey, it's not, not for you to really understand chronology. Because that's the word that is used here. The times is the word chronos in Greek. Chronos, chronology. Chronology refers to calendars, you know, you know, days of the week, months, etc. He says uh, God has a plan for chronological time. That time is going somewhere. It's not aimless. That time is going where God's leading it, and nothing or no one, not even the devil and his minions, can stop what where the Lord God is taking history, because it's going to terminate with the King and the Kingdom. And so He says, uh, "You don't need to really know any more about that." And epochs is the word kairos in Greek, which doesn't refer to chronological time; it refers to the kind of time that it is. So, like theologically speaking, we are in what is called the times of the Gentiles, or it's the age of grace which will end when Jesus raptures the church and we begin the, the age of the tribulation, which is then followed by the age of the millennial kingdom of the Messiah. There's movements of time as you look back through history. And, and Paul says, you don't need to know anything more about this. Why? Because he had already taught them all about this stuff. So I don't know if you like eschatology. Well, you probably, well, okay. What does the word mean again? Because you're thinking, I don't even know what the word means. So what does the word mean? Study of the end times or prophecy. So you might think, that's, I just, I'm not into that. You know, it's just not my thing. Should be your thing because it's a majority of the Bible is about prophecy. That's what it's about. The king and the king and their coming. And Paul has spent a ton of time teaching these new Christians about prophecy. Why? It's, it's totally motivational because if you truly believe the Lord Jesus is going to appear at any moment, that changes, well, it should change how you behave because you have to give account one day. And so Paul says, you know, I've, I've, I've taught you a lot about this stuff. Verse 2, he says, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. How do they, how do, how do they know that? Because he taught them about it. So this leads, the first three verses leads to three questions. And these are questions I would say for the person that doesn't know Christ. Question one, Paul just said that the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. Question one is, do you know what's coming? Because he just said what's coming. What's coming? The day of the Lord. What, what does that mean? Well, if you go back in the Old Testament where this uh, phrase generates, this is the day of the judgment of God Almighty. This is when God, who's on his holy throne, finally says to mankind after thousands of years of sin, I've had enough of that, and I'm coming in judgment. That's the day of the Lord. He's coming in judgment. What happens when he comes? Uh, go through the Old Testament, and you'll, you can read, he tells you exactly what's going to happen uh, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2 says, when he shows up, that all mankind will be humbled. No kidding. When they see the hand of God, it will rock their world. Um, if, you, if you read uh, Isaiah 24 to 27, it tells you it's, a, it's, it's called the little apocalypse. Isaiah 24 to 27 is a miniature of the book of Revelation. Uh, and it tells you that when, when God comes back on the day of the Lord, he takes the earth in his hands, as, as, as it were, and shakes it violently in his wrath. Because the, the world has rejected him and re rejected law and rejected truth. And he finally says the day of judgment. That's the day of, day of the Lord. It's the day the, the Lord shows up. It's uh, repeated four times in the New Testament to tell you it's most certainly coming. And the question is, do you know what's coming? I know what's coming. Life now seems pretty normal. There's ups and downs. There's politicians doing their things and people going to school and people coming home from school and you, you, your baseball team might be, you know, winning, may not be winning, whatever it is. I mean, th things are all over the map. This is life. But one day the day of the Lord shows up 
And are you ready for that day? Question number two. Because he says uh, it's going to come like a thief in the night. So question number two is, are you going to be caught napping? Because most people will be caught napping. It will totally catch them off guard. Why? Because they're so busy with life uh, and rejecting God. They don't have time to think about God's stuff. Uh, and they're, they're going to be caught flat-footed when it occurs. He says it's going to be like when a thief comes to your house. What criminal <laughs> calls you? Just want to let you know, coming by Tuesday, 2 o'clock. I got my bag of tricks with me. I'm going to break out the slider door. I'm coming through. I don't care about your system. I could totally defeat it. I'm going to be there. I know I've got so many minutes before the Fairfax County police officers show up. I know exactly what I'm looking for. I'm going to the master bedroom. I'm taking your jewelry. I'm taking, you know what I'm saying? And they do their thing. Do they call you? Because if they call you, what, what would happen? You'd be waiting for them. Come on in. Let me give you a gospel track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't call you, do they? My, my mom, my dear mom and dad, they, they, I think their home in California was, was burglarized three times. The first time they did it, my dad's a federal agent. I mean, he's got the ultimate security system. I mean, step on certain parts of the carpet, bing, goes off. You've got sound stuff for glass breakage and everything. And a gang came in, blew out the slider door, came in, all went to different bedrooms, just looted the house, and took my dad, you know, he had a commemorative uh, uh, 357 Magnum uh, Smith & Wesson that was put together by U.S. Customs. There's only so many made. He bought one. It was his prized pistol in a special box. They broke the glass, took his gun. I mean, he was not happy. They should have called and said they were coming. <laughs> he would have met them. And so what does Paul say? Well, that when the day of the Lord comes, he's not going to televise it to you. Tomorrow at 3 p.m., um, clouds are breaking. I'm showing up. Then what would happen? Everybody would like, oh, no, the Lord's coming back. I better get my house in order. No, he's like, no, I'm coming like a, I'm coming like a thief. I'm going to catch you off guard. So the, the point being, the question is, you know, what's coming? The day of the Lord's coming. Uh, what's the second question? Are you going to be caught napping when he shows up? Because most people will. They will, they will not even know what happened to him. Do you remember Noah? I mean, you know the story, Noah? Only this section knows? Do you, you know, Noah? Yeah. You know, how, how long did that old man build that boat in the middle of nowhere? 120 years. That's insane. Could you imagine God comes to you and there's a vapor canopy around the earth and it doesn't rain like it does now and all the water's pressurized inside the earth and there's beautiful rivers and everything uh, and God comes to you and tells you, hey, I'm going to judge the whole world with a worldwide flood. Uh, I need you to build a, a giant boat in the middle of nowhere uh, and it's going to take you 120 years to do it and, and, and just preach, preach that I'm coming in judgment and they need to turn and repent so I can save them uh, and come into the safety of the ark uh, and I, just do 120 years, you and your, your boys and their families and you know, just stay committed to that for 120 years and, and the vapor canopy is going to collapse and the fountain of the deep is going to open up and all the pressurized water in the aquifers is going to flood the planet and you just be ready. Get all, the animals are all going to come to you. They're just going to start coming. And they're going to get into the ark and everything, all that kind of stuff. Do people listen to him? No. No. Would you have? That guy is wacko. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's building this massive boat. He's only got a few family members. And he keeps saying when you talk to him that God, you know, that we can't see, is coming to judgment. He's going to send water to flood the planet. Never seen that happen before. Uh, and, and he's crazy. You know, he, he was doing, he was, had the same message when I was 20, then when I was 40, then when I was 80 years old. He's still cranking out the same message. It ain't raining. What happened? 
started raining. Rained a lot. Uh, earthquakes, breaking up aquifers, and I mean, the planet floods. You can imagine when it was about waist deep what you think was happening back then. You're near, what, what would you be doing? I'd be going to the boat. You know, you kind of wade out to the boat with your family and knock on the door. Hey, Noah, hey, sorry we made fun of you for 120 years, but uh, it's kind of getting deep out here. Could you open the door? What do you think he said? Nope, nope, no. The day of judgment has come. It's come like a thief, and you are not prepared. You have been caught napping. Nobody was let in. Uh, how do we know that the day of judgment is going to be like that? Because Jesus said it will be. Matthew 24, Olivet Discourse, on the Mount of Olives, preaching. says in verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man, that's the name of Jesus, will be just like the days of Noah. What were his days like? For as in those days which were uh, before the flood, what were people doing? Eating, drinking, partying, marrying, giving in marriage. Uh, all the way until the day that he entered the ark and shut the door. And then what happened? Uh, it says, they didn't understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. It's a one-to-one -one correspondence. He said, just like, just like Noah's day, I've been telling you for 120 years, God's coming to judgment. For 120 years, they laughed Noah off the planet until the flood came. Well, what do we, what do we know now? Well, we now know that the Lord is coming back again, and it's not going to be a worldwide judgment with water. It's going to be fire. It's going to be a whole different judgment. And he's warning you. He, how long has he been warning you? 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And the day comes, and it comes like a thief in the night, and most people will be caught napping. Hopefully, it will not be you. Question three. Do you realize that when it happens, escape is impossible? That's what Paul says. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. Suddenly, like birth pains upon a woman with a child, they will not escape. This is the world. The world today is setting itself up under the Antichrist for false peace. It's going to be the last prophesied world power is status totalitarian power. If you cannot see the world being set up for this, then you're blind. This is exactly what's happening, not just in the United States, but globally. Status totalitarian power. So it's a final world power. The Antichrist will rule it. He'll set up a false peace. And Paul says, when they start telling you, man, everything is just beautiful, man. It's totally peace. We finally achieved utopia, nirvana, etc. He says, when they start telling you everything's going great, he said, that's when it's going to be like a woman who has a baby. Now, I have to tread lightly here because <laughs> my wife's here. <laughs> Any women here who have children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it pleasurable? Why are you so quiet now? Yeah. It was not fun, right? Yeah. Did you know the day that, that your labor pains were going to start? Why are you so quiet? Like, no, you had no idea, right? They just happened right? So when they happen, it's like, oh no. And then they kind of increase, don't they? I'm a guy. I don't know. You can correct me, but don't they increase? And then what happens? Your husband leaves the room and <laughs> can't watch this. You know, yeah. 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 So what happens? You, baby comes, right? So Paul says, I don't want to focus on the baby coming. He said, which is the kingdom is, that's going to come. He said, I want to focus on the pain. So when a woman goes into labor pain, can't, when it starts and she tells her husband, I'm having labor pains, she can't look at him and go, no problem, I can deal with this. I can just check out of this pain, no problem. Mm -mm. No, it's only going to get worse. And so Paul says, just like a thief doesn't tell you when he's coming, then when judgment strikes, it's kind of like when labor pains hit a woman, there's no turning back at that point. It's chaotic pain, right? So he says, when God comes in judgment, 
uh, as detailed all throughout the scriptures, especially Revelation, uh, when it happens, you can't escape it. You can't, then look at, you can't then look at the situation and go, hey, man, this looks like divine judgment, but don't worry, baby. We got this plan. We've been prepping. We got a bunker at our house. We got a vault door. We got air. We got everything. Everything's going to be great. We got food to infinity from Patriot Food Supply. We got it made. <laughs> okay? I'm just trying to make it real. You're forgetting that the Lord's going to shake the planet. Where's your bunker going to be when the entire mountain range around your house disappears. See, I mean, it's like this. So he says, when it happens, you can't escape it. So I have to ask you, you, you ready? Because a lot of people are not going to be ready. How do I know that? Jesus said, Matthew 7, that the way to hell is a massive road, and many are on it. The way to heaven is a small path, and few are on it. Why? Well, you have to go by means of Jesus. They don't want to do that. Now, that's a checklist for a, a non-Christian. Let's talk about a checklist for Christians, verses 4 to 11. We have our own questions. Question number one from verse 4 and 5. Do you understand your position as a Christian? Which is what Paul's going to say. What's your position? He says, uh, well, in verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in the darkness that that day, the day of judgment, should overtake you like a thief. You guys are clued in. Why? Because you are all sons of the light not, and, and sons of the day. Do you know there's only two classes of people on the planet at any given time? Only two. Those who are sons of the night, and those who are sons of the, of the light. The sons of the, of the darkness, those are the, those who are sinners. They follow Satan, whether they like it or not. And then there are those who traded kingdoms, and they follow the Lord of light. And there's only two on the planet at any given time. There's more of the sons of darkness than there are sons of the light. But he says, I, I need to remind you that you're, you're sons of the light. So the day of wrath, the, the tribulation that's coming, as prophesied in, in the book of Revelation chapter 6 to 19 specifically, those 21 judgments that are going to happen sequentially, and they're going to compound and build on each other until the Lord appears in chapter 19. He says, I don't really need to tell you a whole lot about that because you know as a child of light that's coming. You know, as a side note, if you know that day is coming, you're going to tell all your non-Christian friends they need to get right with God by way of the cross. But anyway, so non-Christians, because uh, I used to be one, maybe you, you as a Christian can relate when you weren't a Christian, you were in the darkness. You were in the darkness mentally, intellectually, socially, you know, all ways you were covered in darkness. Why? Because you inherited the sin of Adam. We all did. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 17, Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says, this I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. How does a Gentile walk? Uh, in the futility of their mind. Why is their mind futile? Because he says they're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart they're dark. So they can buy into all kinds of weird philosophical notions that defy all logic and reasoning and believe it's the truth in a religious zeal kind of way. And Paul says, how can they believe this stuff? It's because their mind is darkened by sin. But once you become a Christian, God gives you a new mind and the ability to understand truth. And you can't believe what you used to believe because now your life is full of, your life is full of light. Um, in chapter uh, one of the book of John, uh, concerning Jesus, it says, the light, Jesus, shines in the darkness of our morally and spiritually corrupt world, and the darkness does not comprehend it. What does that mean? That when Jesus showed up, they didn't get it. The, I, was in, I was in Capernaum the other day on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus did many of his outright miracles. I mean, organic miracles. I mean, 
things that you could see with your own eyes. Like this guy that you've known who couldn't walk for his whole lifetime, Jesus gives him new legs. Or a person who's blind, you know they're blind, you went to school with them and they're blind, and all of a sudden, they see. Where do they get new eyes? Uh, that guy over there, Jesus, Jesus gave it. Unbelievable. They saw all these miracles and they turned against Christ. It's, it's, it's sad. Why? Uh, well, because they, the light came to their little town and they didn't believe it. They, even when they saw incontrovertible evidence. Why'd that happen? Uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus why that happens in chapter 3. Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to Christ uh, at night uh, to find out who Jesus is and he became a believer. Uh, Jesus says this to Nicodemus, verse 19 of chapter 3. says, this is the judgment that the light, Jesus, came into the world. And what's the effect? Well, men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who, uh, who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. <laughs> I was in Charleston last week doing a wedding. I haven't been to Charleston since uh, 1967. Yes, I was alive back then. Yes. Uh, my mom's brother flew for Strategic Air Command during the Vietnam War. So my, he was a captain on a plane. And, and so we went to go see my Uncle Ray's plane before he went to Vietnam. And so we drove, because we were back in, my dad's family's from South Carolina. So we were near Columbia. So we, where the family's been since, I don't know, 1700s. So we, you know, took a drive down to Charleston. I hadn't seen it since then. So it's been a while. It was way different than what I remember as a kid. A lot more people and more roads. Um, but we, we stayed downtown, uh, Charleston. You've been down there? It's very beautiful, but it's very eclectic because, you know, like I have all these, these really cool old houses, and this one's been renovated. looks totally cool. That's what we stayed in. And then the next house to you is like, serious? It's got a condemned sign on it, spray painted, and it, the, whole, the whole area is like that. And so when we checked into our Airbnb, uh, our, our, our room faces the street. It's a little tiny street, not like big enough for one car. Like, what can happen on a little street like that? A lot. <laughs> because across the street from us was a little house on the corner with no windows on the first floor. Like, that's kind of odd. And it had a side door with a big metal door, like a security door over it. No signage or anything. Well, we found out what that was at night because that was the local bar that everyone came to. And they were not quiet. I'm out in the, you know, I mean, so the street's full of young people partying, getting drunk, yelling, screaming. I mean, it was unbelievable. Liz even asked me at like two in the morning, do they ever go to bed? I mean, no, they're partying and having a good time. So if I were to get a, get a robe on and walk down there and go out on the street, hallelujah, I need to talk to you people <laughs> about what? Hey, judgment day's coming. How, how would this go over? Uh, they're probably not going to accept me going down. I didn't do it, uh, uh, but I have actually done that before. It's something like that. Uh, it's very risky, uh, but they love what they're doing. I'm like, why aren't there windows? Because evil stuff's happening in there. They don't want light in there. And I'm like, who can go get drunk on Thursday night? You're back again on Friday night. You're back again on Saturday night. And then I left Sunday. I, I guess they've been partying since I left. It's like, why do they do this? And, well, because they love darkness. They don't like light. And Paul said, that used, that used to be you. You used to be like that. Well, what's your position? I'm a child of righteousness. I go to bed at a normal hour. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what Christians do. I don't stay up and party. Why? That's lame to live like that. It's darkness. And if you're down there doing that, you're going to do a whole bunch of other things you're going to be shamed for later. And so he says, Paul says, uh, you know, remember who you used to be. And, and, and you know, you, you are a child of the light. 
Do you understand your position? Because if you understand your position, then the question is, do I live in light of my position before the king shows up? That's the thing. Ephesians 2, Paul says to the Christians there, you were dead in your trespasses and sins when you weren't a Christian. That, that you were spiritually dead. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. I'm like, how does evil constantly flourish? And somebody just asked me yesterday, just when I thought evil went to a whole new level, it went to a whole nother level. How's that happen? The demonic beings behind people. Who's the prince and power of the air? Satan. And all of his minions are behind the scenes motivating greater evil. And so Paul says, that, that used to be you. And what was your life back then? Uh, he says in verse 3, Among them too, you all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That, that was you. You lived for lust and doing whatever you wanted to do. But in verse 4, there's a great transition. It says, uh, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ. He says, and by grace, you've been saved. He saved you from that darkness. Isn't that awesome? And because he saved you, he made you his child. So the question is, in light of the fact that the king is coming, are you ready as a child of light for his arrival? Because of your great position. It says in Colossians 1, Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the, the forgiveness of sins. When you talk to people and they are lost in philosophical systems that absolutely are dead ends, that defy all human logic and you're scratching your head, how can a smart person believe that kind of stuff? The, their mind is darkened. But once it's enlightened by the gospel of Christ and he gives them a new mind, wow, light pours in. And Paul says, he delivered you. I, I thank God he delivered me from that and put, put my life on the right track with light. And so that now when the rapture happens, I'm ready to see him because I understand my position. I'm a son of light, not a son of darkness. He says in the, to the Thessalonians, we are not of the night nor darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Boy, do I understand that. Because <laughs> every night I was in Charleston, they partied every single night. And it's like, why are they out in the street at two, three, four in the morning? It's unbelievable. I can give you the address of the place I stayed in in case you want to, <laughs> yeah, just check it out for yourself. Because that's what people do, isn't it? And he said, you know, he says to these Thessalonians, think about it. He says, spiritually, it's like their mind is darkened. They don't know God. So they do godless things. Uh, and, and it's like the non-Christian is a person who's drunk. You ever had a, a Christian, a, a, like a conversation with a non-Christian who's bought into a false ideological system and you're trying to have a logical discussion with them uh, and giving them log logical data points for things that, that you think they could just easily grasp and they're looking at you like you're from Mars and why in the world would you believe that? I have. What, what, what's up with that? Well, they're, they're, they're spiritually asleep and they're born that way and, and they're spiritually drunk as it were on their false system of belief. But God is rich in mercy because he saves people like that. I used to be that way. God saved me. And so he says, if you remember your position, then live in light of your position. Question two, do you have your armor on? Spiritual armor. This is a military community. Everybody should understand a flak jacket, right? One person. Uh, bulletproof vest. Yeah. Do you understand? So, yeah. 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 Who would want to go on the battlefield when it was heavy fighting and tell your commanding officer, yeah, I, I don't need the flak jacket today. Serious? Are you serious? So he says in verse 8, 
because he just told you to be sober and, and everything and get your act together. But he says in verse eight, but since we are of the day, let us be sober. Okay, so if I keep my mind sober, what do I do? He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, make sure you got the helmet, which is called the hope of salvation. Uh, breastplate of faith. So think of a Roman soldier. Uh, he's got all this heavy armor on, but the most important thing is a breastplate, okay? Because a breastplate, front and the back. What's it protect? All the vital organs, if you're in hand-to-hand combat, your, your lungs, your heart, etc. He, he says, think about this as a Christian soldier. When you're on the battlefield of this earth, in the prince and power of the air, the devil, this is his domain, and you're having to deal with him, Paul says, make sure that you're armored up. A breastplate of faith and love. What does that mean? Well, it's not salvation faith because you're already saved. What kind of faith is it? It's faith in how God has revealed himself. That as I study the scriptures and I study God and understand who he is, my faith in him grows and flourishes. That it's just, that's what Israel does to you when you're in Israel. And you see, you see what the disciples saw. You see where Jesus walked. You see where things were fulfilled. You see it and your faith mushrooms. And he says, as your faith in God grows, when you live in an evil age, then your love for other people follows suit. The, the two go hand in hand. Show me to somebody that really loves God, and I'll show you somebody that will love their brother. Because the two go hand in hand. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is one who says, oh, I love God. I know lots of things about him, but they don't love their brother. So the two greatest commandments, all Christians should know them, are love the Lord your God with all your... You sound totally passionate. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and, and your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says, uh, what is the breastplate of faith that protects you in wicked times? Uh, you get armored up with that breastplate. You have great faith in God who's omniscient, omnipresent, etc., all-wise, all-knowing, etc. You have great faith in Him, and that faith you have in Him translates into you love His people. You love His people. Do you love God's people? Because uh, that is what protects you in the age in which we live. And then he says, make sure you put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. He's not talking about salvation like in a redemptive sense because you're already a Christian. That's what these people were already Christians. What kind of salvation is he talking about? He's talking, think of the context. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the tribulation. He says, the hope of salvation is that you're not going to be in the tribulation. I've had many Christians ask me this. Are we going to, are we going to go through revelation like six to 19, all those judgments? No, no, no. How do you know that? Well, because it says so in the Bible. Well, I, I sure hope we miss it. Oh, you're going to miss it all right. Why? Well, not only is the rapture pretty clear, so is what Paul says here. What does Paul say in this passage about the hope of salvation? Verse 9, he tells you how you get it. He says, for God has not destined us, Christians, for what? Wrath. What wrath, contextually, is he speaking about? Is he speaking about hell? No. He's speaking about the tribulation. So let's put that in there. So for God has not destined us for the tribulation wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, not in a redemptive sense, but salvation is he snatched you out of it. So is the church going to be in the tribulation? Answer, no. How do I, how do I know that? Well, I give you give many reasons. One of them is uh, Paul said we're not going to be there. We're not destined for it. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. It's when he deals with the wicked. He takes his church out. He says, uh, think about your armor and put it on. How do I get the helmet of salvation on, the hope of salvation? I have hope that I'm going to be with Jesus when he unleashes his wrath. That puts that helmet on me. So when I'm attacked by the devil and he tries to discourage me and deplete my spiritual energy, I have great strength and hope. Why? Because I know Jesus is coming and I don't worry. 
Question three, can we, we finish with this? Do you realize you have a responsibility as a Christian? What's your responsibility? It's pretty simple. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Therefore, discourage one another and tear each other down at every opportunity. That is a spiritual way to go. Did he say that? No, I didn't say that. What did he say? Encourage each other. What does that mean? Parakaleo is a Greek word. It's a preposition wedded to a verb. Kaleo means to call somebody. Parakaleo means you really call them. Call them alongside yourself. Why? We live in evil days. And you call them alongside yourself and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your life? How are you dealing with the age in which we live? How's your marriage? How are your kids? How are things? You call them alongside you to, to comfort that other Christian. And he says, while you're doing that, uh, build them up. Don't blow them up. Build them up. Because some Christians think it's their job to tear other Christians down. Yeah, I totally nailed them and I moved to the next church. No, 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 no. Build up other Christians. Why? Because there's a lot in our old world that is very depressing and discouraging if you have a brain, right? I read all the time and it, sometimes it just shocks me at the level of evil that I see even in my own country. But do I worry? Uh, no. Why? Well, I know the king is coming, so I'm holding on. I know the king is going to settle accounts so I don't lose hope. And I know the king is going to set the stage to set up his kingdom, and I'm waiting for it. That, that's exciting. The king is coming. You ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Two people are ready. Are you <laughs> ready? You are the quietest church of all time. Remember, I'm the guy that talks to you during the service? Yeah, yeah. Are you ready? And if you're not a Christian, hopefully the Spirit of God has been talking to you today because uh, I can just serve up the info to you and telling you, you know you're not ready. How do you get ready? Lord, forgive me a sinner and save me. And he will. And you'll become a son of light. And there's no greater thing. Let's stand. Lord, we uh, praise you. We thank you for Paul. What a brave man he was. Spoke with great clarity. Uh, talked about your judgment when people don't like to talk about it. Makes them uncomfortable. Better to be uncomfortable now than to be uncomfortable later and you can't get out of eternal judgment. Better to come to the cross and be saved and become a child of light. So we pray for those who don't know you that you would uh, cause them to have the faith of a child, embrace you as Lord and Savior. And we who know you, might we live in light of our position as believers. Great light about us and how we live. And may the joy of the Lord be on our faces, in our hearts. And may you find our lives uh, living in such a way that we transform the old world in which we live until you return. In Christ's name, amen.